Welcome to the AK-47 Podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and today is August 5th, 2020. We are still in the horrible midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and yeah, things just seem to be getting worse and worse, and there are explosions in, in Beirut, and We just had a hurricane here on the East Coast, and hundreds of thousands of people are without power. And yeah, well, this year is just really shaping up to be quite something. So I'm not going to dwell very much or editorialize uh, today. I'm just going to try to get to the second half of Chapter 5 of Red Love. So we left off in the last episode with Volodya home from the front because he has sustained an injury. And Vasya, who is very busy with work, has been out all day and, you know, she's not really able to care for him as he would like to be cared for. So they are living in her little attic apartment. And this, of course, is all a flashback that she is having on a train as she leaves to go rejoin him during the period of the new economic policy where he's become like the manager of some kind of enterprise. All right. Chapter five. This is the second half of chapter five of Alexander Kollontai's Red Love. Thus, they lived together in their cage in the attic. In the beginning, they managed, although Vasya found it hard to devote herself to both her work and her man, she was happy nonetheless. There was always someone to talk to, to advise her, to sympathize with her when she was disappointed, to help her plan for the future. But the housekeeping was a nuisance. Vladimir had become accustomed to good food at the front. But Vasya's household? She brought her dinner from the public kitchen. She had no sugar with her tea, but only rock candy. For the first few days, they lived on the groceries Vladimir had brought. I've brought you some food, flour, sugar, sausage for I know how to live like a sparrow under the gables, without a bite to eat in the house. When they had used up Volodya's provisions, however, they were dependent on the public kitchen. And Volodya didn't like it. He grumbled, Why are you forever feeding me millet and millet gruel? I'm no rooster. There's nothing else to be had. I have to live on my ration. What are you talking about? The Fedosievs have no more than you, but yesterday they served me a real dinner, and a wonderful one at that, fried potatoes and herring and onions. Fedosieva has the time for housekeeping. But I, don't you see that I'm wearing myself out without attending to anything but my affairs? You've undertaken too much, that's the trouble. Why do you bother about this community house? The Fedosievs were saying, I know what the Fedosievs are saying, exploded Vasya. She was hurt at Vladimir's associating with her enemies. And you're not acting like a comrade when you listen to them and join them against me. They quarreled. Both lost their tempers. Then both were ashamed of themselves and they made peace. Vasya, however, grew more worried over her inability to take better care of her man. He had come to her, wounded, and she had offered him food from the public kitchen. He had taken better care of her the other time, when he had brought her a pair of shoes. It grieved to see Volodya eating nothing. He would swallow two or three spoonfuls of soup and would push away the plate. I'd rather go hungry than eat this dishwater, 
make some tea, and try to get some bread somehow or other. I'll send you some flour later from the front so you'll be able to return it. Impossible to go on that way. She had to find some way out. Vasya hurried to the meeting, but her head was a jumble of resolutions and millet gruel. What could she give Voloja for dinner? If only she had the time, she could find a way, would think and prepare something. She was delighted to meet her cousin on the way, just at the right time. The cousin had a daughter, a lively, capable girl just out of school. Now she was living with her parents, had no definite occupation, but was helping her mother with the housework. Her name was Stiosha. There was no difficulty about the arrangements. Stiosha would spend the day with them and keep house. In exchange, Vasya would share her payoff with her cousin. A load off her mind, Vasya hurried on to her meeting. Tomorrow, Volodya would have decent meals. Stiosha proved to be capable, and she got along well with Volodya. They kept house together, exchanged some of their supplies, while Volodya received a number of things from the union for old time's sake. Vasya was content. Volodya no longer complained about the food, but now he had another grievance against her. You take care of everybody, but I mean nothing to you. Again, Vasya was distressed. Thus, she was torn back and forth between Volodya and her work. But why had he come at such a feverish time? She tried to explain to Vladimir, but he was angry, pretended not to understand. You've grown cold, Vasya. You've even forgotten how to kiss. I'm so tired, Volodya. All my energy's gone, was her excuse. But Volodya was angry. Vasya herself realized that things couldn't go on that way. Here, her lover had come to visit her after an endlessly long time, and she was gone all day, working, returning only late at night, dead tired, scarcely able to tumble into bed. How could she think of kissing? There were painful incidents. One evening, Volodya began to caress her, but she fell asleep the moment her head touched the pillow. The next morning, Vladimir teased her. Where's the fun in petting a lifeless body? He was laughing, but she saw that he was offended. She too felt unhappy about it, felt that she was to blame. He could really believe that she no longer loved him, but where was she to get the energy for everything? One day, Vasya came home earlier than usual. Vladimir was preparing the dinner for himself. What's the matter? Where is Stiosha? Your Stiosha is a little devil. I threw her out. If she dares to show her face here again, I'll throw her down four flights of stairs. Why? What happened? What did she do? Take my word for it. She's a devil. I wouldn't have chased her away for nothing. I don't have to tell you the whole story. You'll only get excited. She's a vulgar, filthy creature. I don't want to see any trace of her here. Vasya saw that he was furious at Stiosha and determined to ask no more questions. She probably had stolen something, she thought. Such things often happened. And Vladimir was very strict about his things, though he was very liberal otherwise and always glad to share what he had with his comrades. He had that possessive instinct. Let anyone dare to take something of his without his permission, and he would never forgive them. What'll become of our household? Let the house go to the devil. I'll go to the hotel. And I found some friends. I won't starve. Stiosha went to see Vasya in the housing bureau, demanded her payok. What happened between you and Vladimir, Stiosha? What did you do? 
I didn't do a thing. Stiersha's eyes flashed as she pushed her comb more firmly into her hair. Your Vladimir always was fresh to me, so I slapped his face good and hard for him. He spit blood for quite a while, and he won't try it again. How silly you are, Stiersha. Vladimir Ivanovich was only playing with you. Vasya was trying to remain calm, but her head was swimming. Huh, a nice sort of play that was. Why, he had me down on the bed. It's a good thing that I'm strong. No one can have me against my will. Vasya tried to convince Stiosha that it had all been meant playfully as a joke, and that now Vladimir Ivanovich was really cross with her. But Stiosha looked more stubborn. What was the difference what it was all about? She would never cross that threshold again. Gloom enveloped Vasya's heart. She didn't blame Volodya, didn't even feel hurt. It was her fault, after all. Why was she so cold? She had offended Volodya. He might actually believe that she no longer loved him. But this was nasty. Why had he touched the girl? Stiosha was barely out of her childhood. It was a good thing she could defend herself. What might have happened otherwise? The incident preyed on Vasya's mind. She was undecided as to whether she should tell Vladimir that she knew everything or whether she should remain silent. But Vasya had no more opportunity of talking with Vladimir. A new order was inaugurated. Vladimir hunted up his old friends, the employees of the union. He disappeared for days at a time. They never saw each other. In the morning, when Vasya went to the housing bureau, Volodya was still sound asleep. When she stopped in during the day, he wasn't there. When she came home at night, the attic was still empty. Vasya would be nervous. She didn't know whether she should go to bed or wait to have tea with him. She heated her supper on the petroleum burner, arranged her papers for the morning, listened to the steps in the hall. That wasn't Vladimir. So she put out the fire for economy's sake and took up her papers again. She looked over reports, sorted petitions. Someone was hurrying up the stairs. Was it he? No, it wasn't Vladimir. Vasya would go to bed alone, would soon be sleeping the sleep of exhaustion. But even in her sleep, she would listen. It was so cold and dreary without him. Sometimes he would be merry when he came home. He would wake up Vasya and make love to her. He would be burning to tell her everything, would have thousands of plans up his sleeve. Then Vasya would feel so happy, so content. All her troubles would disappear. Sometimes, however, Vladimir wasn't entirely sober when he came. Walking heavily, he would look about, scowling with watery eyes. He was full of self-reproach on these occasions, but he blamed Vasilisa too. What a life, in a cage, under a roof, no pleasure, no diversions, a woman and yet not a woman, and they had no child. This particularly stabbed Vasya. Although she had not wanted a child, she would have liked to have had one for his sake. But it seemed impossible. She never became pregnant. Other women wept and wailed because of their inability to avert the flood of children. But it seemed that she, Vasya, was to be denied the joys of motherhood. Anemia was the doctor's opinion. In order to cheer up Vasya, Vladimir decided to take her to the theater. He procured the tickets. Vasya came home at the appointed time. Vladimir was preening himself before the mirror. He had put on fine clothes and looked like a gentleman again. Laughing, Vasya teased him. She loved her handsome man. 
And what'll you put on? He looked at her anxiously. Haven't you a Sunday dress? Vasya laughed again. What in the world was a Sunday dress? He must have learned that in America, where people dress up in a different outfit every day. She would put on a clean blouse and the new shoes Volodya had bought her. That was all her finery. Vladimir looked cross. He scowled at her so that she grew frightened. Do you think people will look only at your feet in the theater? And the rest of your clothes can be a sackcloth? I don't understand why you're angry, Volodya. Of course I'm angry at these organizers of ours. They've arranged our lives as if we were in prison. Here you'll have no real amusement, no real home, no decent dress. You have to live in a cage, drink water, eat garbage, and wear coarse clothes. Why, I was better off when I was out of work in the United States. But you can't expect everything at once. You know, the collapse. Oh, don't talk to me about the collapse. What sort of organizers have we anyhow? They've torn down everything with their own hands. But if anyone wants to do something constructive, they shout, Do you want to become bourgeois? Hands off. No, you don't know how to live. That's why everything goes to pieces. I'm sure I didn't go through the revolution to lead such a life. Why? The revolution wasn't for us. For whom then? For everybody. The bourgeois too? Don't be silly. Of course not for the bourgeois, for the workers, the proletariat. And what do you think we are? Not workers, not proletariat? They disputed and disputed, almost coming late to the theater. Through the streets they went, through the slush of spring, Vladimir walking ahead silently with huge steps so that Vasya barely could follow. Don't run so, Volodya, I'm all out of breath. Suddenly, he stopped and waited. After that, he walked more slowly, but still refused to say a word. In the theater, Vladimir met some friends with whom he spent the intermissions, and Vasya had to sit alone. The theater gave her no pleasure. Why had she wasted the evening? Now, she would have to work twice as hard in the morning. And now this is another scene, another flashback. The Congress opened shortly before Vladimir's departure. He attended it, although he was not a delegate. There was wrangling, antagonistic groups were formed. Vladimir was on Vasya's side. Leaving his friends, he worked for her group wholeheartedly. Now Vasya and Vladimir became inseparable. They went to and from the Congress together, discussed their stand at home. The comrades of her group crowded Vasya's room. They drew up resolutions. Vladimir wrote on the typewriter they had procured. Everyone was working swiftly, hurriedly. They seemed welded together. They would become agitated, would quarrel. Then they would laugh again for no reason but their youth. They liked the battle for its own sake. It kept their minds off their troubles. Stepan Alexievich was there too, sitting at the table and stroking his fine gray beard. His genial, animated eyes watched youth. Vasilisa was always whispering about something with him. He spoke very highly of her and she was above the average. But he seemed rather cool towards Vladimir. Vasya was sorry to see it. Why this attitude? Vladimir, too, was distant in his manner. Your Stepan Alexievich is too oily for me. He smells of incense. He's no communist fighter. Just a toady, that's all. Vasya's faction was defeated. But she had received more votes than she had expected. That, too, was a victory. As the Congress was drawing to a close, the time of Vladimir's departure approached. Again, Vasya was torn in two. She had to equip him for his trip, and the Congress was still going on. But deep down in her heart, Vasya was glad. 
Once more, she had felt that her man was not only her lover, but her friend. She was proud of him, for he had been a great help to her group. The comrades wouldn't let him go. Now goodbye, my Vasyuk. My little sparrow will stay all alone under its gable. Now it won't have anyone to tell its troubles to. But to make up for that, no one will disturb you in your work. Did you ever bother me? She embraced him, fondled him. Didn't you say yourself that your man was taking up your time? Didn't you complain about the housekeeping? Oh, don't talk of that. It's much worse without you. And she hid her head against his breast. You're not only my sweetheart, but my comrade too. That's why I love you. They parted tenderly on the best of terms. After seeing Vladimir off, she hurried back to the Congress, thinking, no matter how nice it is to be together, you're better off alone. The presence of your lover distracts your thoughts, makes your work progress too slowly. Now she could devote herself entirely to her work, work and rest. She had never had enough sleep when he was there. Did you see your husband off? Stepan Alexievich asked her at the Congress. Yes, Vladimir is gone. That's better for you. He'll only get you into debt. Vasya was amazed. How had Stepan Alexievich known? But she did not answer. If she had admitted it, her lover's prestige might have suffered. So that's the end of chapter five of Alexander Kollontai's Red Love. I really love this section of the book uh, because it's this, you know, incredible, you know, again, this is the 20s, but Clearly, Vasya is a full-time working woman, and she's coming home to a husband who wants to have sex with her, to be amorous with her, and she's exhausted, absolutely exhausted. She, you know, he tries to caress her, and her head hits the pillow, and she just falls asleep. And of course, this is a very common thing when people are tired and overworked. It's very hard to kind of get in the mood and people get offended and feel like they take it, they take it personally because it's like, oh, she doesn't love me or he doesn't love me because he doesn't want to be with me. And I think this is still a problem in the year 2020, almost 100 years later. You know, capitalism and the kind of craziness of our work drains us so thoroughly and completely. Of course, in this story, this is the 20s and she's she's working to build a different kind of world, but she's still working very hard and, and trying to find this balance, so essentially work-family balance between her husband and, you know, her housekeeping and cooking and cleaning and figuring out what to do with the home and her work, which she obviously really loves and which she thinks is very important to her. So, you know, again, it's just really interesting to think about this in terms of how far back it was written and how women then, Kollontai was obviously writing this for women who were struggling to find this balance between work and and, and romance and, and family and home life. And we really haven't changed all that much in the, in the intervening years. Anyway, I hope you are all healthy and well. And I'm probably going to take a couple weeks off now. I'm just got other lots of other things going on research-wise and I need a little time to to concentrate on some other projects. So I will start up again as, you know, hopefully soon as possible, maybe late August. I'm not exactly sure when with chapter six of Red Love. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tell people if you're, you know, if you know people who might be interested in this podcast, I'd appreciate you spreading the word. And as always, keep up the good fight.